Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So let me make a couple of announcements to you as we move into our teaching time. Uh, a lot of things that are going to be happening next week, May 7th, want to make you aware of. Young adult ministry is kicking off May 7th. Um, if you have college-age students or you are a college-age student, young professional, The Verge will be kicking off and you'll see a display out here in our main corridor. Be a part of that. Also, uh, we are welcoming today Stuart Tilley onto our staff, our new student minister. Maybe you've seen him around here, but uh, we are going to have a reception for him right after this service uh, in the cafe at noon, just a come and go reception. And if you want to do a digital pounding or Venmo, uh, a gift as he moves his family here to Tulsa. Uh, but we sure are glad that Stuart is here. And then also, if you're new around First Tulsa, we have every month a pastor's coffee, which I'll be hosting next week. I have three or four spots left in that. And this is for those of you who are ready to take the next step of being a part of this church, of exploring membership, maybe considering baptism or what it means to follow Jesus. So I invite you to join me for that class. That coffee next week is at 945, right before this service in our cafe, and would invite you to be a, a part of that. Um, so, we're about to have some fun. Are you ready? I'm going to start out this message today with a four-letter word. Not often that I get to do that, but I'm going to drop a four-letter word on you here in just a moment. And let me set this up, because imagine, men, you're driving down the road, your wife is sitting next to you. For some reason, your Google Maps isn't working or your GPS is out, and you know you're lost. And she knows you're lost. And you know she knows you know you're lost. You get where I'm going with this? Everybody knows that you're lost, okay? And your wife might lean over to you and say, why don't you pull over and ask for help? That is a four-letter word, help. What is it that we don't like that word? Because it means that we admit failure. It means that we admit weakness. It means that we admit need. So obviously the Beatles song that we're going to cover this morning is, is the song Help, and you're going to love this, by the way, but, but let me kind of relieve one little um, urban legend. The song Help by the Beatles is not only a single, it's also an album title, it was also a movie, right? And if you can imagine the front cover of that Beatles album, the Beatles are signing in what's called semaphore. Semaphore is... Uh, flags being used to represent letters for ships and planes. You like this? I practice this all week. I have no idea what I'm spelling right now. I'm probably spelling a four-letter word, right? But, but on the cover, you see all four beetles lined up, and you think they're signaling help. And that was the original concept behind the album cover, but it doesn't look good. And so they changed it up. Actually, the album cover says something like NVUJ. It's nonsense. But then there's a little bit of teaching that we would rather look good than to ask for help. Sometimes we just need to ask for help. By the way, Pat Savage, you're going to love this. Hold on to your hats. Here we go.
That's it, let's go home. That'd be a great way to end today, wouldn't it? So 17 times in that song, the word help shows up, and you're only gonna hear it two times in this passage of scripture. But these two times that you hear the word help carries a lot of weight. And so we're in Mark chapter nine. By the way, would y'all just appreciate our musicians one more time, they do a great job. Just the whole mashup of bells, ringing bells, and then a robed choir and then singing Beatles. What has happened to this church? What has happened to this place? So I'm going to be in Mark chapter 9 this morning, and I want to set this up. We're going to take a running start at what I believe to be one of the most authentic prayers recorded anywhere in the Bible. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14, when they came to the other disciples, so this is a transition sentence. It's important that we know what happens before this to understand what follows. Jesus had just gone up into a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and there his heavenly glory peeked through his earthly skin. They saw Jesus like they had never seen him before, which tells me that there's always more to Jesus than what you've experienced today. We are never mature. We never see the full picture of Jesus. I don't think that we ever fully will because he is infinite and we are finite. Here's what I really want to say. Some of you in the back of your mind think, oh, I've outgrown Jesus. You have not outgrown Jesus. It may be that your view of Jesus has not grown. There's always more to discover about who Christ is is don't settle for what you know today. So Peter, James, and John, they got to see this glimpse of who Jesus really was, his earthly glory. So when they came down to the other disciples, there was a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. Why is it that whenever you come off the mountaintop, there's always a problem waiting for you at base camp? Here it is. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed and they ran to greet him. Here's an interesting experiment. When you're a meeting this week, and maybe a COO is in the room, or a manager's in the room, or the president of the organization is in the room, don't look at who has the titles, look at who everyone else is looking at. No matter where you are on the organizational chart, whoever everyone looks at in the room, that's the real leader. So Jesus walks into this situation and he's recognized instantly as the person who's going to, one way or another, address what is happening. They saw him, they ran over to greet him. What are you arguing about? A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Okay, two things I want to talk about here just briefly. The first is suffering. I love what Elizabeth Elliot says. Suffering 
is having what you don't want and wanting what you don't have. That's a pretty good definition. Suffering, and some of you are there, you know what I'm talking about, is having what you don't want and it's wanting what you don't have. So here this boy had something that he didn't want. He was demon-possessed, and he wanted something he didn't have, the freedom to move about without wondering when the next seizure and when the next series of, of events would happen that would hurt him. It's, he's in the middle of suffering. On top of this, layered on top of this suffering is disappointment because here this man brings his son to somebody who he thinks can fix this, Jesus' disciples, and they cannot help. Listen. And I want you to hear me very clearly because I see this a lot. Some of you in here have been disappointed by other Christians. Some of you in here have been hurt by other Christians. Some of you in here have been damaged by other Christians. Don't let your disappointment in other Christians drive you away from Christ. And I'd love to see the instinct of this man. If there's anything else that he can teach us besides how to pray today, it's even when other Christians hurt you, you dive further into looking at Jesus. Don't use what other Christians to do drive you away from Christ. Seek Him more. So, with all this discouragement and disappointment and suffering, I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. And here's Jesus' reply. You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? bring the boy to me. Now, one of the things we're going to have to adjust our ears to this morning is how blunt Jesus is in this moment. How would you like it if when you pray tomorrow morning, you pour out your heart before Jesus and he says, how long am I going to put up with you? How would you feel, right? In fact, I think I felt him tell me that a couple of times. How long am I going to put up with you? Here's what we need to understand. And let me use an image by D.L. Moody that might help. Imagine a lake Water is churning up. There's a boat sitting in that lake. Where are you in reference to that lake and boat? For instance, some people are struggling. You're in the water splashing, just trying to keep your head above water. Some of you aren't splashing. You're clinging to the side of the boat, holding on for dear life, hoping your grip won't give way. Others of you are resting in the boat. Where are you today? Just using that metaphor, whatever you're facing is, are you still struggling? Are you paddling in the water trying to keep your head up? Are you clinging to the side? Or are you resting in the boat? The thing is, if you're clinging or struggling, it's no time for niceties. It's no time for somebody to say, hey, just calm down. Take a break. Take a breath for a minute. No, you say, grab the life ring. It's time to make a decision now. And so Jesus, in this very overwhelming situation, he's just being direct. So I'm going to take that play out of his playbook and be direct with you today. If you're struggling, what are you waiting for? Why are you fighting? Why are you still giving in to that same sin and you just need to be done with it? How long are you going to reject Jesus' invitation, not just for him to be in your life, but for you to be in his life? How long are you going to be unforgiving to that person of your past? How long are you going to live a life of fear? When is it going to be time for you to say, it's time to get out of the water, to quit clinging to the side of the boat, and to get in the boat and rest with Him? Okay. Let God's Spirit speak directly to you today. What are you waiting for? So, how long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So, they brought the boy to him and 
when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. By the way, um, sometimes things get worse before they get better. When you bring them into the presence of Jesus, they, they seem like they're going to get worse in the short term. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, my translation is, as long as I can remember, it's throwing him into the fire, the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity and help. Help us. So have you ever learned that God has a really good sense of humor? Have y'all learned that yet? Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I was getting ready to preach on Samson on a Sunday. You know, his hair was cut by Delilah. Lost his strength because he lost his commitment with the Lord. Um, that Saturday before I preached on Samson, I was cutting my own hair. I have a stylist, by the way. It's me. And I have no style, all right? So once it start, you start losing your hair, you just, I just started shaving it off. And I was at a, if you know this, I was about a five or a six, you know, using the guard. Well, the Saturday before I preached on Samson, I took out the, the shaver to cut my hair and I forgot to put the guard on and I shaved a bald streak right up the back of my head, okay? And I invited my wife into the bathroom and said, does this look bad? Here, here's a clue. If you have to ask, does it look bad? It looks bad, all right? And so I thought, well, I've got no choice now, so I just left the guard off, shaved the whole thing. And so I shaved my head the Sunday before I preached on Samson. Still today, she thinks it was a stunt. I promise you it was not, all right? God has a way of just doing things to you just in, in the moment. So this week we're preaching on help, right? I think I know what needs, means to need help, all that good stuff. So I take my quarterly retreat to the monastery this week. And just if you'll allow me a personal moment, um, I've been dealing with a back issue for about six months now, and I keep hoping it's getting better, and it's, it's kind of not. Can I put a parenthesis right here? I don't need any medical advice today, okay? <laughs> Please don't come up to me today and give me your magic potion or your magic cure, your doctor. I've got a doctor, I've got a plan, I've got a, a process for all of this. Got all that covered, okay? Deal? Help me by not trying to help me. That's why I guess that's what I'm asking today, okay? So I'm at the monastery, I think the back's getting better. I bend over to pick something up and something pops. And so here's a bed two feet away. I kind of throw myself on the bed and I think maybe it'll be better in 20 minutes. No, not even close, right? And so I text my wife, don't panic, but I can't move. I need you to come to the monastery, which is an hour away from our house, and I need you to help me. So here's the deal. I thought I understood help before this, but to have, to have your family come out and pick you up and literally load you up, here's the great thing I discovered about help. When you call for help, it is because, are you ready for this? When you call for help, it's because you are helpless. How about that for a divine insight? That's it, okay? There, that's all I got today, right? You call for help because you're absolutely helpless. You don't decide what happens when it happens or how it happens, you turn this completely over to someone else. And so this man calls for help because he is helpless in the face of all of this. And you know, there's a, there's a train of thought that says, you know, if you need something, you just have to ask the right way and God will grant it. Well, the man's already blown that. You know, if you can do anything, have pity, help us. Jesus goes, really? Everything is possible for the one who believes. And now here's his prayer. And this, to me, is probably one of the most profound, honest prayers in all of the Bible. I do believe, 
Help my unbelief. Here's what I want to challenge you today. Often, we allow our doubts to prevent us from praying. We need to persevere through our doubts until we pray. I want you to hear that. Sometimes we we allow our doubts to prevent us from praying. What we need is to persevere through that prayer, persevere through prayer until we get to the other side of faith, which may take a long, long time. But if you're acting in faith, are you really doubting? And so here this man offers prayer as Jesus encouraged prayer to be, brief and real. Can I talk about those for just a minute? Prayer should be brief. I think the more you say, the less you pray. It's often the less you say, the more you pray. In fact, let me teach you a prayer right now. I've told you before, this is the sign language for amen. A lot of our kids have picked this up, right? You know what the sign language is for help? It's the same thing. Go ahead and take out your hands. I'm teaching you right now. If you don't do this, I've had enough of you, oh, unbelieving generation. (laughs) By the way, I'm on a lot of pain meds today, so who knows what's going to be said. This is going to be a great day. I can say anything I want to. My wife has told me, stay on script today, right? Take out your hands, okay? This is help. It's taking that need and just lifting it to the Lord. Now, keep it out there. Because what I want you to do is right now, whatever you're dealing with in life, your relationship with God, your relationship with someone else, your relationship with yourself, just do this with me. That's help. That's it. That's a prayer. You can take that with you wherever you go, and it's just a call to God to intercede when life gets too heavy. So Jesus saw the crowd coming. This is verse 25. He rebuked the impure spirit. Deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out and never enter him again. Now, it continues to get worse. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked like a corpse, and many said he's dead. By the way, Jesus does a really good job of taking people who look like they're dead and making them alive again. Jesus does a really good job of taking people who look like they're finished and infusing them with new life. So Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet. He stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we drive him out? This kind can only come out by prayer. So here's what I want to take a few moments and talk about prayer in a way that we can practice it this week, okay? And wherever you are, whatever you're doing, to practice prayer for yourself and to practice prayer for other people. Let me start with a story from the Jewish tradition. Boy came in from the country into the city, grew up in a Hebrew household, but he could barely read. And he goes into synagogue in the big city, and they're all saying these elaborate prayers, and the boy is overwhelmed because he's not very educated. He doesn't know how to pray like all these expert people, and so he starts reciting the 23 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, He, Vav. And he just says the letters of the alphabet over and over and over again until he's exhausted. And then after he has recited the alphabet for an hour, he says this, Oh God, I don't know how to pray or what to say, but here are the letters of the alphabet. Use them to make up the prayer that I should pray the words you would like to hear and answer my prayer as you see fit. Isn't that beautiful? 
Here's all the letters. Now you just make the words that you know I need to pray and you answer them as you see fit. So I started thinking about that story and I didn't resonate so much with the alphabet of prayer as I do the punctuation of prayer. So I'm just spinning off of this. Let me show you this slide. Let's get rid of the bald guy off the screen. So here are five ways to pray for yourself this week. And instead of using letters, I've just used punctuation. Sometimes you can pray an exclamation mark. That's the help prayer. Help. And by the way, once God does help, don't forget to use the other exclamation mark. Thanks, right? One word prayer. Next one is questioning God. You know what? Jesus questioned God. All the great spiritual people in the Bible question God. He can handle it. Jesus even said, my God, my God, why? It's okay to ask questions. If a prayer is fit to be on the lips of the Savior, that same prayer is fit to be on the lips of the saved. If you've got a question, ask him. Uh, Let's go back to the first slide, please. I'm going to stay on this for a while. The next way to pray is a period. Don't ask God what you want. Tell him what you want. Now, I want to be careful here. This is not a name it and claim it theology. It's not, well, if I name something, I have enough faith, God has to give it to me. And by the way, I don't call it name it and claim it anymore. I call it name it and blame it. Because if you name it and it doesn't happen, you're going to blame one of two people. You're either going to blame God for not being strong enough, or you're going to blame your own faith for not being strong enough, right? Listen, God is our Father, which means we can ask Him or tell Him whatever we want to, but it's up to Him to answer yes, no, maybe, or wait, right? And so, don't say, oh, I've got to just kind of hint to God at what I want. Tell Him, and then trust Him to do what's best. The next piece of punctuation here is the ellipsis, little dot, dot, dot. This is prayer that is ongoing throughout the day. Maybe something you just take with you. We sang earlier, turn your eyes upon Jesus. What a great prayer just to make a part of your heart language. Today, I'm going to turn my eyes on you, Jesus. Turn my eyes on you. And then this last one, do you know what this is? Yeah, words that we shouldn't say in polite company. Actually, the first time, this is called a grolix, when you use symbols to, to represent uh, an improper word. You know where it first showed up? It first showed up in the cartoon by Beetle Bailey. Do you remember the Beetle Bailey? Yeah. Some of you who are really old, you remember Beetle Bailey, right? Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I put up with you? Drugs are great. Have I mentioned that yet? I've, I've mentioned that. Sometimes we have to say things to God that we don't know are polite. Say them anyway. I've had people question me, is this right or, this, or is this wrong? What I do know is two things. I do know that God knows that you feel them anyway. So you might as well be transparent. I also know that God's ears and God's shoulders are big enough to handle anything that you need to pray to him. So I'm going to skip that last slide, Bill. I'm just going to stop right here. I'm going to give you one more story. February 24th, 1989, United Airlines Flight 811. You know when an airline flight is defined by the name and the date, you know it's not going to be good news. And some of you may remember this. I remember this vaguely from my high school days. February 24th, 1989, 
United Airlines Flight 811 took off from Honolulu on its way to New Zealand. 70, 747 had climbed to 22,000 feet when the forward cargo door of the jet blew open, tearing a huge hole in the side of the plane. Nine passengers, tragically, were sucked immediately from the plane to their deaths. The two right engines were damaged by flying debris and were taken out of commission. The plane was 100 miles from land. The captain, Dave Cronin, brought all of his wisdom of 38 years of piloting experience. That's the guy you want in the cockpit who's been doing it 38 years to bear on this moment. I'm going to read this because this is pretty technical. To compensate for the lack of thrust of the two right engines, he struggled to hold the control column steady with his hands while using his feet to put pressure on the control floor rudder to stabilize the plane. He had to keep it from pitching and rolling. His stickiest problem, however, was deciding how fast to fly. He slowed the plane as close to stall speed as possible to keep the air rushing over the plane from further widening the hole in the fuselage, sucking out more passengers, right? Because the hole had changed the aerodynamics of the huge aircraft, the data regarding stall speed was no longer relevant. He had to use his best judgment. Furthermore, the plane was loaded with 300,000 pounds of fuel for a long flight, and it was too heavy to land without collapsing the, the landing gear. And now he encountered a new problem, as if that weren't enough. The wing flaps used to slow the plane down were not working. So he had to land the plane at 195 miles per hour, which is the average speed on the Broken Arrow Expressway. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Yeah. He had to land the plane at 195 miles per hour compared to the normal speed of 170. So the jet weighed, and it gives a bunch of numbers here, but basically it wasn't going to end pretty. Nevertheless, Captain Cronin made one of the smoothest landings the rest of the crew could remember. And amidst the cheer of the passengers, the airline experts called the landing miraculous. Here's the point. A few days after the herring experience, by the way, if you're flying this week, sorry. <laughs> God bless you. Godspeed. A few days after the herring experience, an interviewer asked Captain Cronin about his first thoughts following the loss of the cargo door. He said, I said a prayer for my passengers, and then I got back to business. That was a long story to get to that point. I said a prayer, and I got back to business. Could I encourage you this week? Pray. Do business with God. If you need to use the exclamation mark, use it. If you have a question, use it. If you need to ask for something, say it. If you have an ongoing prayer, let it linger between you and God all day. And if there's some things that you need to do to get off your chest between you and God, do it. And cry for help. Let's stand together and let's pray together. God, you are good all the time. Even when we don't understand and even when we underappreciate what you're doing and we're confused. Thank you that you are still in our lives and you are working on us. I pray that you would transform our prayer to not be a barrier to our faith, but you would transform prayer to be something that deepens our relationship with you. And I pray for all of us this week that our prayers would be brief and real, that we would say what we need to say to you, we would listen to what we need to, to hear from you, and that 
our relationship with you would be vital. Our relationship with you would be authentic. That we would quit worrying about the performance and the persona that we are giving off and just be real with you for once in our lives. And I pray that grace over us today. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So our, our invitation to the follow-up room today is twofold. One is maybe the first prayer that you need to pray to Jesus is yes. You've never given him your life. You've never surrendered your life to him. This is a moment for you to be real. What are you waiting for? Our follow-up room is going to be open here right as we begin to sing. I'm going to step across the hall. I would invite you to join me. The other part of this invitation is you may have a prayer that you need to pray that's hard for you to pray and you need somebody else to pray with you. And so if that's the case today, I invite you to step across the hall. Some staff members, some follow-up team members will be there. And I had a good friend of mine just come by today. I know what's going on in his life, and he just let me pray over him for 30 seconds. If you need that today, you let somebody else be the hands and the voice and the feet of Christ in your life. So let's worship together. Let's respond to the Lord. By the way, while we're singing, it's pretty easy for you to lift this to God, this little simple help to him. And if you need to talk and pray with somebody, we'll be right across the hall. You can move and do that right now. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.